And while we're receiving our tithes and our offerings, let's also, uh, let's grab your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. And I also want you to kind of keep a, uh, keep a finger there. And I also want you to turn to John 12. Matthew 26 and John 12. And I want you to uh, see if you can read and listen carefully uh, with this scripture this morning. We are on Wednesday. Wednesday in the the week of Christ's final walk on earth. And uh, I I want you to see if you're going to pick up something chronological and you're going to ask a question. You're not going to notice it so quickly here in the Matthew, but you'll pick it up hopefully in the John. Matthew 26, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his, on his head as he reclined at the table. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. For For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will always be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Turn over to John 12. See how well you uh, listened and picked it up. So six days before the Passover. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave, him a di- gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at, at, with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why this? Why was this an ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave 
her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with, with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. So as I was preparing, I was kind of standing in Luke and Matthew and just going, oh, this, would be, this is a great progression. And uh, I love what, what is going on here. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I thought, you know what, let's check for what other Gospels have, have to say. And what, what did I discover? A chronology issue. Matthew puts this, this thing on Wednesday. John puts it six days before. So were there two anointings or what was the deal? So I, I was plunged into this, okay, what is really going on? And one of the commentators, his name is Warren Wearsby, said this. Matthew does not claim to give us a chronological account of the events of, last, of the last week. At this point, he inserted a flashback to describe the Feast of Bethany, which I think is best described in John 12, and the beautiful act that Mary performed. The religious leaders were meeting to plot against Jesus, but his friends were meeting to show their love and devotion to him. Also, by joining these two accounts, Matthew showed the connection between Mary's worship and Joseph's betrayal. Matthew inserted this here to show that there is a deep love and worship of Jesus. And let me tell you where I think this story is going. And then we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty and follow John in John 12 where he takes this story. But I think this is, this is the major theme that I want us to get for the entire morning. That it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the love of Jesus, all of his perfections, his values, everything about him, his value and the worship and the love of his followers match. It's a beautiful thing. But on the other side, when they don't match, it is spiritually suicidal. It is deadly. It's not beautiful. It's damaging. When Jesus is worth and our worship and our affections don't match. We can be more specific and kind of put a finer uh, point on the story that the worth of Jesus and the perfection of Jesus that Mary and Martha and Lazarus have in mind is his grace and his power that is found to raise the dead. If you look back in John chapter 11, you're going to see an amazing thing. You hear Jesus say in John 11, verse 25 and 26, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And there are the affections of wonder and gratitude and ecstasy that match this resurrection power, especially, especially for Mary and Martha, because they have seen their brother, Lazarus, walk out of the grave. He was dead. And I want you to kind of put yourself in their shoes for a little bit. Your brother, Lazarus, has died. Jesus kind of took his sweet time coming back to Bethany 
to meet the family. And he, he, he reassures Mary and Martha, listen, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. This is who I am. And what does he do? He says, I want you to roll back that stone. I want you to roll back that stone. And what happens? Out comes Lazarus, alive, in his grave clothes. Imagine what that is. And Jesus, Jesus is watching. Lazarus walks out. Mary and Martha's and the crowd's looks on their face of just awe and wonder that Jesus, he said he's the resurrection and the life. It is true. Could you imagine the thrill and the ecstasy and the joy that is just going on in their heart when they see their brother come out of the grave? And Jesus wants to make sure that in six days, in six days at another grave, his grave, He wants to make sure that they don't lose that sense of wonder, that sense of awe, that sense of joy, that he indeed is the resurrection and the life. But they keep it. But they keep it. So listen to what the story that John tells in, start with verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus has raised from the dead. John had just said in, in uh, 1157 that the chief priests and the Pharisees had issued a warrant for his arrest. And the first said, therefore Jesus came back into the very town he had just left to go into hiding. We know that the time is near. Jesus is moving into danger. He's coming back. He's moving into danger and not away from it. The Passover is coming. In verse 2, it says, And they gave him a dinner. They gave a dinner for him there. In other words, this is a celebration of the resurrection of Lazarus. They gave him a dinner. They honored him. This is a thank you dinner for, for raising Lazarus from the dead. Just not some ordinary meal on a, on a Friday night. Hey, why don't you come on over? I'll bring some, I'll bring some pizza that we could throw in the oven. You you bring whatever leftovers you have. You know we're we're just gonna hang around, have a few appetizers. No, this was a special, extraordinary kind of meal, where everything was raised. The bar is suddenly extremely, extremely high. Its focus is on Jesus. And his amazing power in raising Lazarus from the dead. And there at the table, at this meal, was exhibit A. Lazarus. He was reclining at the table. And if I was Lazarus, my eyes would not have been taken off of Jesus. I was dead. I was completely dead. No breathing, no heartbeat, no life signs whatsoever. For a few days, I was dead, stinking up a grave hole. And he raised me from the dead. My eyes would have been fixated on him. Just this grin on my face of, Jesus. 
And in the whole time, you see Mary and Martha. Martha served and Lazarus was there sitting at the table. My sense is this dinner was planned specifically to honor Jesus and to thank him for this overwhelming miracle of life. This overwhelming miracle of life. And Martha is in her usual place. What is she doing? Serving. Do you hear any rebuke whatsoever of Martha? Absolutely not. She is serving. She is making sure that everything is in place, that all the, this food and that food, everything comes out. She's looking at, as plates are coming out, she goes, oh, no, 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 take that back. No, 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 that's not right. Oh, no, do you know who this is? This is for Jesus. Make sure that it's done right, it's done well, and it tastes good. Send it back. Okay, that's good. Bring it out. And Martha is serving her tail off. She is going crazy. And then you have Mary, who is about to express her heart in the most lavish way. And Lazarus is just sitting back, watching and enjoying. So when in verse 3 begins with therefore, the point is that since this is a dinner to honor and thank Jesus for the gift of life, Mary will now make her presentation. Perhaps the whole family planned, planned this arrangement. Maybe they, they pooled all their savings together. Maybe this was a family heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. Who knows? But now was the time for this lavish gift to be poured out. Verse 3 says, Mary therefore took a pound, a pound, about 11 ounces, the size of a pop can, a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, a very highly expensive rare fragrance, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. So Martha's role was to thank Jesus by seeing that all the details of the dinner were in place. And Mary's role was to thank Jesus by pouring out this expensive ointment on Jesus. And in both ways, they would express the wonder and the joy and the satisfaction and the hope that they have in Jesus. Thanking him for his greatness, for his grace, and his power to raise Lazarus from the dead. They all had a place and then in verse 5, 4 and 5, Judas speaks up this un, these, these unbelievable phrases with unbelievable disregard for what Mary had just done. Total disregard. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. Can you hear the, the total disregard? The moment Mary had been, been carrying around this, this, this vial, this ointment. And Martha had been planning. And Lazarus has been sitting back enjoying. And all of a sudden, what does Judas say? Are you serious? Why was this expensive ointment not sold and given to the poor? Why? Well, two things. From this, you can see, one, that this was extremely expensive ointment. He pointed out the, how costly it really was. And two, you can also see how suicidal it is 
when our hearts don't match the worth of Jesus. Judas will eventually die at his own hands. And he was paving the way right now. If Judas wasn't exaggerating at all, this 11-ounce flask of pure nard was worth about $30,000. 300 12-hour days at 825 Illinois minimum wage, $30,000. Judas's schemes, scheme of values was so different from Mary and Martha and Lazarus that in just a few days he would, he would do something quite the opposite of giving $30,000. He would sell Jesus for about $1,000. And John tells us in verse 6 what was really in Judas's heart. Judas said this because he, he didn't care about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. In other words, in response to the worth of Jesus, Mary, Martha, their hearts were full of wonder. Their hearts were full of thankfulness and joy that was just overflowing into this lavish demonstration of love and affection. And Judas's heart felt none of that. Felt none of that. But he valued money more than he felt, valued Jesus. Judas loved money. And Mary's heart corresponded to the treasure that Jesus was. Mary's heart corresponded to the value of Jesus and Judas's heart contradicted the treasure of Jesus. Now when Judas responds to, to Judas why he should leave him alone, there's three reasons that sum up this whole story. And you see that in verse 7. Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you will always have with me will not always have with you. So I'm going to kind of work him backwards. Verse 8, the second half of it, verse 8. Leave her alone. Leave her alone because you will not always have me with you. The first half of verse 8. Leave her alone because the poor you will always have with you. In verse 7, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. That is, leave her alone and don't hinder her from keeping her love and wonder and joy in the face of my death. The first reason relates to the value of Jesus. You do not always have me with you. Jesus says, my presence in the body will, will be here for only a short time longer. You're not always going to have me here physically with you. Mary, Mary feels the preciousness of Jesus' presence and for what it meant for her and for Martha and for Lazarus. So leave her alone. Leave her alone, Judas. Her heart is right. She feels the preciousness of my presence. Leave her alone because you're not always going to have me with you. And the second reason relates to Judas's value of money. When he refers to the poor, it's a cover. It's a cover for 
his covetousness. He's a thief. That's what he is. He wants money and he doesn't want Jesus. His heart is the opposite of Mary's. Judas. Jesus is saying, Judas, don't go throwing around this straw man argument about the poor needing money when in reality the real issue is your heart. That is the real issue. It's your heart and who you worship and who you value. Your heart is wrong, Judas, so leave her alone. And the third reason relates to whether Mary will be able to keep on treasuring Jesus when he's buried. Remember, Mary is thrilled, thrilled that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He was the one who raised her brother from the dead. He is a life. He is life in and of himself. He shares it with those who trust in him. She is feeling this in this moment that Jesus is life. Jesus is the resurrection. I know. Look at exhibit A right here. My brother, he is the life. And she is showing it lavishly. But will she be able to continue to do that on the day of his burial? She had exalted in Jesus' power at her brother's grave. But will she be able to exalt in his power at his grave? Not if Judas continues to infect her with his worldliness. So Judas, leave her alone. Now these three, as we look at this, we've got to remember that Jesus just didn't have to say these things. There's a purpose for his saying these things. He could have just said, Judas, why don't you just shut up? Keep your mouth closed. But he chose to say these things out loud so that everyone could hear, including us. Reasons why Judas was to leave her alone. And when you start pondering each of these reasons for Judas to leave her alone, lights go off all over in the text. Back to point one. Judas, tragically, you're not born of God. And therefore, you can't see the most obvious thing in the world. To know me, to see me, to hear me, to touch me, to fellowship with me is of infinite value. Infinite value. The word was made flesh and is dwelling among you, full of grace, full of truth. John 1, 14. He is full of grace and truth. Mary has seen my glory. She has tasted my grace. She has got a glimpse into my truth. Mary's heart has been formed by this very experience. She has reached for the most lavish thing she could find to express the inexpressible. A heart that matches my worth. Leave her alone, Judas. You have no inkling what is even going on here. Look at it, Judas. Maybe look at it, Miss Day Church. Look at it, world. Look how lavish, look how lavish this display of worship was. 300 days of wages. 
300 days of work poured out in one act of worship. Let it sink in for a little bit. Maybe some of you math folks want to start doing some math. What does that mean financially for you? Does your heart match up to the worth of Jesus that you in, in an act of worship would say, here's 300 days of my hard work, blood, sweat, tears, annoying co-workers, long trips, pain, agony, but out of an act of worship, I am pouring it out. Think of what this, she could have bought with this, but her brother was alive. Alive. And Jesus is the one who raised her, and Jesus is the reason it's worth giving and living. He is the resurrection and the life. He is it. There's no measuring the value of Jesus There's no quantifying his worth. There's no way to calculate the cost of love. There's no way to put the heart in a scale and say, this is how much affection for Jesus and no more. There's no scale that can say that. Jesus is inexpressibly and infinitely wonderful. And Mary is inexpressibly affectionate. They match. And look at Jesus' feet. In John, it says that she poured it out on his feet. She pours this lavish love on his feet. I want you to think about this. 300 days worth of work poured out on feet. His dirty smelly human feet. Wouldn't you at least go for, you know, the head, you know, everybody would notice up here. Why? Because the least of Jesus is worthy of the best of us. The lowliest part of Jesus is infinitely more precious than the highest human gift. And when we look at what she does with her hair, she anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Why didn't she use a soft, clean towel? Think about this. Do you remember how Peter responded? When Jesus worked this miracle of just a huge catch of fish, what did he do? Immediately, Peter said, he fell down on his knees and said, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Sinful man, O Lord. The goodness and the power of Jesus made Peter feel totally unworthy. And so it was with Mary. And look at the whole room of people at this dinner. At the verse of, end of verse uh, 3, it says, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The whole house reeked of this intoxicating perfume. Heartfelt, authentic, God-honoring, expressive worship of King Jesus is never merely private. 
Our worship of Jesus is never a private, merely a private event. It always spills over into others, one way or another. Always. True worship overflows into others. The lavish, heartfelt, sacrificial, grateful display of affection was for Jesus. And everyone was blessed. Everyone was blessed. Listen to how R. Kent Hughes describes the fragrance of the perfume. He says this, The aroma of Christ, so honoring to him and so refreshing to others, does not occur when we give him half our heart, or half our pocketbook, or half our talents, or half our ambition, or half our lives, or half our boyfriend, or half our girlfriend. It comes by giving him everything. It comes by giving him everything. So leave her alone, Judas. Leave her alone. I'm only here for a few more days, and unless you wake up to my worth, you will die, and you will never see me again. The second one is, leave her alone because the poor you will always have with me. I have heard evangelicals poorly use this saying you know what it's hopeless to help the poor because we're always going to have them Jesus even says it you know we're always going to have poor so it's a hopeless case you're always going to have poor but Jesus says let me start by giving you the benefit of the doubt if you really care about the poor if you really care about them as indeed you should as I do you now have the rest of your life to serve them with all your heart and with all of your might. Like we talked about last week, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, everything about you. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And nothing she has done, Judas, nothing she has done here is stopping you from doing that. In fact, if you had eyes to see, what she has done here would help you. And the same is true for us. If we have eyes to see what Mary has really done, where she has just lavishly poured out her love and her affection and gratitude and joy out on Jesus, our hearts don't go, what in the world are you doing, woman? This makes absolutely no sense. Sell that. Give it to the poor. Pay off the building fund. Do this. Do something better. Instead, we go, is my heart valuing Jesus for who he is? Am I inspired by her worship, her act of worship, that in the same way my worship needs to be elevating up to the value of Christ? Judas, you don't love the poor. And you don't love me. You love money. And in five days you're going to sell me for five pieces of silver, 50, or 30 pieces of silver. So listen, Judas. Listen, Missy O'Day Church, to these words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Timothy. We brought nothing into this world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the truth, Judas, and have pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money, the desire to be rich, is suicidal. Spiritually, suicidal. It blinds us to the worth of Christ. And if you can't see that, Jesus says that I am to be desired above all riches, all things. If you can't see that, you'll die. Your preference for money is a preference for death. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Judas, you cannot serve God and money. You are devoted to money. And therefore, you cannot even comprehend. You cannot even comprehend what Mary is doing. Your desires for riches has blinded your eyes. So leave her alone. Finally, the, the last, re, last reason. Leave her alone so that she may keep it. Keep it for the day of my burial. This was a, a tough one for me to kind of wrestle through. What Keep it? So she's supposed to kind of keep some leftovers for the day of Jesus' burial later on, you know, is that what Jesus is saying? Leave her alone so that she can keep it? What is, what is this it? And I think the clue that holds the most weight for me is that Jesus seems to imply that the words of Judas, if they infect Mary with his disease, would keep something from happening. Judas, back off. You be quiet. Let her get on with what she is doing, including my burial. Let her keep it all the way to the day of my burial. The ointment that has been poured out, that's not what she's keeping. Jesus wants her to keep her thrill, her gratitude, her amazement, her wonder, her love. He wants her to keep that all the way to the burial and beyond. He wants her specifically to keep her amazement and wonder and love for him as the resurrection and the life. Keep that. I want her to keep that all the way to the burial. So be quiet, Judas. It's because of that kind of mindset that, would, that you would stand at the grave and say, well, so much for that, Messiah. So much for that way to succeed. That Sermon on the Mount... That didn't really work out for you, huh, Jesus? The way up is way down? Yeah, apparently. So much for the way to get rich. And Jesus is saying, you be quiet. You be silent, Judas. Let her keep that love and that hope. And I wonder for myself, 
What voices do I listen to? Even here. Or the voices in my head or the voices of this world. What are they telling me? There are voices that, that beg and plead me to be moderate with my worship for Jesus. Moderation is best, right? Even political. Everybody kind of abhors both the far right and the far left. If you could just be moderate, right? If you could just be a moderate, kind of in the middle, that's, that's the kind of worship you should have for Jesus. None of this extreme stuff. Just be moderate. But I think Jesus is saying, don't listen to that. Let your affections for me be lavish. Let your affections for me be lavish. I think there's voices that, and I fall in this, you know, there's those days when Laura and I talk about what we should, what we should have, what we should do, what our retirement going to look like, how much money should we have in the bank, how much should we have for this, for this later on purchase or this kind of thing in the house or this kind of thing for our kids. There's this thing that we kind of feel like, man, we should, we should have a lot of money. We should have a lot of wealth. We should amass all of this for our future. But the reality is, is that where my true riches, my true wealth is found? Is Jesus my riches? Do I really believe that all the money in the world All the money in the world and all the things that money can buy cannot compare to him. Do I really believe that? Do you? Do you really believe that Jesus is the most valuable person in the entire world? No amount of money, no amount of wealth, is worth Jesus. Do you really believe that? I believe that there are all kinds of voices that tell me that his death is anything less than a triumph over death. That it was a grand failure. But the reality is that he is my resurrection and he is my life. And if he is my resurrection and he is my life and he is your resurrection and your life, he is worthy of my entire life. He is worthy of extreme lavish giving, extreme lavish worship, extreme lavish giving of my time, my talents, my treasure, my extreme lavish of caring for neighbors, of caring for co-workers, of sharing this good news. If he is worthy of it, we should be people of tremendous parties, of tremendous giving, of using our gifts and our talents in extraordinary, creative, amazing ways so that Jesus is magnified. That as people are watching our acts of service and worship, they cannot help but move from the worshiper up to the one who is being worshipped.
What does this mean for us? If we are called to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, heart, soul, and mind, what does this mean for our worship? What does this mean for how we use our gifts? I am pretty sure that Mary was not on somebody's call list of saying, hey, we've got to throw a party for Jesus. You in? Well, I don't know. I got something on Tuesday. I'll see if I can get around to it. Man, I hope something else comes. Somebody takes my spot. No. She was saying, this is an opportunity to worship the one who gives life. Sign me up. I pray that this picture of worship, of a lavish worshiper, is us. This is a picture of how we live as a community of faith. Lavishly. That picture, the the video we watched earlier, you want to talk about just a glimpse? That's a glimpse. Kind of like Mary, she got a glimpse into Jesus' greatness. And she, she gave what she could, which was rich and extraordinary. But there's always more. Because Jesus, in his love and his strength, his power, he's inexhaustible. There's always more ways. And it's not a one-hit wonder. There's more ways that we can always lavishly express our worship this king. I want us to be stretched. Where we can quickly identify that's the that's the voice of the world telling me to be moderate. Uh, that's the worth of the world that says that, that, that I should find my worth in my things and my, my money. And, no. leave me alone leave me alone I'm not listening to these voices my eyes are fixed on him my eyes are fixed on him anything less leads to spiritual suicide slow death so when the worth of Jesus the value of Jesus matches the love of his followers it is a beautiful thing harmony echoing out we become like these churches in Macedonia where people Thousands of miles away, hear what is going on in these people's lives because of Jesus. They hear it. Reports are coming back. Paul reports back to these churches says, Listen, word is getting out that your lavish worship of Jesus 
is extraordinary. Word is out. And let me, let me just do a little bit of painting of pictures for you. We, we have space, a lot of space over here. And if you go up one, two houses, that is potential for Missio Day. You go straight over to the west, that's even more land. But it's a dot on the map compared to New Lenox. There are people who are far from Jesus who need to hear the gospel and hear how extravagant and how rich and how beautiful and how lovely he is and that he is worth everything. He is the resurrection. He is our life and he can bring life to you. And we have the responsibility and the awesome privilege to share that gospel and reach out in every place, into every neighborhood, in every apartment complex, every place that you are, wherever you live, wherever you work, to share this good news of Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to be the hands and the feet, to grow as a family and to see baptisms, to see new life in Christ, to see people go, I get it. I was doing religion. Now I am in love with Jesus. I am a lavish worshiper. But it requires you first understanding his worth. Because the second you understand his worth, is the second you are compelled by his goodness to share his riches. Let's pray. God, I pray that we are so... uh, We have this combination of conviction. Conviction of how we have, not just financially, but in all of our lives, we have hoarded stuff and how that stuff has just brought to us death. It hasn't really brought joy. In fact, we know that in reality, that beyond the grave, it doesn't go with us. It just is a temporary fix that brings us slow, slow death. God, I pray that we have this combination of of conviction that your Holy Spirit brings to us along coupled with an even more powerful and beautiful, regenerating thing of your beauty and your worth. Lord, and I pray that that powerful, regenerating beauty of your worth would overcome our, our guiltiness, our conviction, and change us so that we are more huh, vibrant worshipers. People who uh, are just caught up by your grace again this morning. God, would you Would you do something amongst us? Would we 
Encourage one another to do greater gifts for you because you are worthy of it. Would you help us put to death those uh, fleshly desires, those um, sweet sins in our lives that distract us? And when in reality, if we smell them, they are nothing but a cesspool of death, would you help us by the power of your spirit to squash those, to put them to death? And in doing that, would, your, would you bring our eyes up to you? And may we understand the depths of your grace, the depths of your love, the depths of the peace that we have in you, the security that we have in you. And would you transform us into even more lavish, adoring, joy-filled, redeemed, worshipers. Would you do that amongst us this morning, God? And we pray, Lord, that seeds will be planted in each of our hearts for the sake of your kingdom, that as we go, we will be salt and light. We will be a city on a hill that shines out that tells the world about the one who is worthy of all of our worship. God, and I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus because we could pray that because we know that he has conquered death in the grave. There's no other name like that. And with that, we can pray with surety that your kingdom come, that your will be done here in New Lenox, in Frankfurt, Manhattan, Orland Park, Tinley Park, uh, and beyond, Lord. May it happen here on earth as it is already in heaven. We pray this in, in Jesus' name who, who made this all possible. Amen. Getting closer to Good Friday. And Jesus says on that night to his disciples, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of blessing. Pouring it out, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You come to this meal as a feast, as an act of work, remembering the gospel, remembering where our hope is found. Come, for all things are ready.